Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we continue our reflections into... Well, the prayer we just prayed, huh? The Our Father, this great gospel prayer (laughs) that always has us focusing in on one simple truth. We are children of God, and we've been given this great gift to call upon God as who but Father. We've been breaking this prayer down into its petitions, its seven petitions, and we have arrived at that petition where we ask God to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so as you can well imagine, the subject matter we will be talking about tonight is very, very important as it has us focusing in on this great call we have to forgive one another. But before we get into that petition, let us look more globally at this prayer. The Our Father is a prayer of limitless depth, huh? I mean, as much as we talk about here on this radio program, on the Lord's Prayer, there is always so much more to be said, huh? I mean, that is just the beauty of our Christian and Catholic faith on any aspect of our faith. As St. Thomas Aquinas said, the more you come to know, the more you realize how little you know. So the Our Father is a prayer of limitless depth. Taken all at once, then, it can be overwhelming, Huh? It can really overrun you. So it's good for us to take the time then, as we have been doing on this radio program, to meditate upon the petitions individually. We must, however, in doing so, avoid the temptation to look at each petition as if it were thematically separate from the others, if you will. There is a unity to the Lord's Prayer, and its petitions follow a certain logical progression. Huh? I mean, think about your favorite hymn, your favorite song, your favorite tune. And does not one line set up the next, and that next line set up the one that follows? There is a logical progression, and that logical progression is set to the particular tune, the particular note. Well, if sacred scripture is to be seen as such as it is, we then must always read everything in light of the whole. And most especially, as you break down one chapter from the next, each chapter within context, huh? So we can see this most vividly as we move from one petition to the next in the Lord's Prayer. Consider what we talked about last week. Give us this day our daily bread, Matthew 6, 11. You can only really appreciate forgive us our trespasses in light of that previous petition. Give us this day our daily bread. My dear friends, it is no accident that Jesus paired these petitions in a single sentence because there's a logical link between our daily bread and our forgiveness. And we can rightfully say, for among the chief effects of the daily bread Christ has given us in Holy Communion, is what? But the complete remission of all our venial sin. Dr. Hahn gets into this, and this is so important for all of us 
who attend Mass. For all of you Catholics out there who attend Mass, the Mass is a sacrifice. And so the daily bread is a daily offering for sin. Like those, we could say, prefigured in the temple of ancient Israel. If you were to go into the Church Fathers, one of the great Church Fathers, St. Justin Martyr, spelled this out clearly in language that echoes the Lord's Prayer. He wrote, Israel's offering of fine flour, which was prescribed to be presented on behalf of those purified from leprosy, was a type of the bread of the Eucharist, the celebration of which our Lord Jesus Christ prescribed in remembrance of the suffering which he endured on behalf of those who are purified in soul from all iniquity in order that we may at the same time thank God for delivering us from evil. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our bodies long for food. Our souls long for food. And it is this bread come down from heaven in the Eucharist that is both material food and spiritual food. Thus, it meets the needs of both the bodies and the souls of who we are as God's children. Huh? How does this happen? Well, if you were to turn to paragraph 1394, what do you read? As bodily nourishment restores lost strength, so the Eucharist strengthens our charity which tends to be weakened in daily life. And this living charity wipes away venial sins. Now, as you can well imagine, this is more than just a mere absolving of debts, huh? <laughs> this living charity is the very gift of God's life. Because in Holy Communion, we are made holy because we are partakers of the divine nature of God. Remember what we talked about last week and the week before, <laughs> For any holiness we have, we have through the life we share in communion with the Trinity. So it is that we are made to understand this divine life that we share in can never be achieved on our own. We can only receive it as a gift from God. What do we read in 1 Peter 1.16? You shall be holy, for I am holy, because you share in my very essence you are holy. You are love. Remember that all-important definition of the Trinity. Love given, love received, love shared. The Father gives, the Son receives, and the Holy Spirit loves. It is when we abide in the Holy Spirit that we share in the very life of God, the life of love, and the life of holiness. Now, Sin is incompatible with this life, right? This holiness, this living charity. We cannot live the life of the Trinity as sons in the Son unless we become sinless as He is sinless. What does our Lord say in Matthew 5, 48? Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Well, we know that we can never attain absolute perfection this side of the heavenly Jerusalem. Yet, God challenges us to always make up for the gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be, huh? He challenges us to draw closer to God in all that we do, living in charity. Scott Hanna quotes St. John Chrysostom, who says, to call God Father is the profession 
of a blameless life. What does that mean? Well, think about it. When grace encounters sin in our souls, something has to give way. The grace of our daily bread takes out our sin from above. Uh, A few weeks ago, we were treating the mystical life in St. John of the Cross, and St. John of the Cross talks about um, these active and passive aspects of our life in God. How is our life in God called to be passive? That sounds like a very negative thing. Well, what is acceptance about? Is not accepting something in the spiritual life passive? Accepting what God is giving you, huh? Which, above all else, is the grace necessary to do whatever it is that we need to do to draw closer to Him. When grace is in our souls, it uproots all of those things that we cannot uproot on our own. Certainly, we are called to act against, huh? Act against all of our attachments. If we struggle with pride, be humble. If we struggle with material goods, give material goods away, acting directly against the very thing that you're attached to. For all of that, there are some things we cannot do, but we can only allow God to do. So when grace encounters sin in our souls, then yes, something has to give way. So what else does Jesus teach us in this petition? Well, he teaches us to place a condition on God's forgiveness. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the light of this petition, I want to turn to the Catechism and read what I believe to be a very important paragraph, and it's paragraph 2842. It's this, as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is what the Catechism has to say. This as is not unique in our Lord's teaching. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Highlighting what we just talked about. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The Catechism continues. It is impossible to keep the Lord's commandment by imitating the divine model from outside. There has to be a vital participation coming from the depths of the heart in the holiness and the mercy of the love of our God. Only the Spirit by whom we live can make ours the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Then the unity of forgiveness becomes possible, and we find ourselves forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. So, my friends... As Scott Hahn notes, we must not pray this petition too quickly, because it's all too easy for us to mirror the sheer impossibility of this condition. For as we read in the gospel, who can forgive sins but God alone? Huh? Mark chapter 2, verse 7. This highlights that forgiveness is an action that is purely divine. Forgiveness is an action that is purely divine. Brothers and sisters, the heart can only be transformed by God's divine fire. Huh? So Jesus is asking us here to live the divine life that we have received. 1 Peter 1.15 says what? As he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves. I love this piece from Scott Hahn. We're not just forgiving because we believe our offenders' apologies are sincere and they won't trouble us again. 
because sometimes they're not sincere. Sometimes they don't even bother to say they're sorry. And often they sin against us again and again. But God forgives us when we apologize half-heartedly and when we become repeat offenders. (laughs) So how are we to model forgiveness? Well, let it be unconditional. Remember what I have said about unconditional love as it relates to God. How there isn't any one thing that we can do so great that is actually going to have God loving us more. And how there is nothing we can do so tragic that is actually going to have God loving us less. My dear friends, God's love is absolute, unconditional. It is not conditioned to what we do, either good or bad. It simply loves because we are. To enter into this kind of forgiveness, to enter into this kind of love, well, as we just said, is only possible because of the divine. So we forgive as God forgives. In imitation, not only of the quantity, but also the quality of his forgiveness. Like God, we forgive not merely by forgetting. We reduce, I think, sometimes forgiveness to forgetting. Forgiveness isn't about forgetting, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's about loving, willing the good of the other. It is the heat of God's love that melts the ice of our sin. And so it is the heat of our sharing in this love that will bring about the forgiveness of those who trespass against us. When we reduce forgiveness to just forgetting, do we think about this? Probably not. Probably not. I've talked with a lot of people who have told me that they have forgiven this offender or that offender. And yet when they're around that person existentially on the outside, they are very tense. They are not at peace. The fruit of forgiveness, my friends, is peace. Peace, the calm in the storm. We do not allow the half-hearted forgiveness to get the best of us, no. Because we have entered into God's love. Because we have entered into God's domain. That forgiveness which is unconditional. Now, this is a difficult thing to hear, I think, for all of us. It's hard for me. Forgiving others is a hard thing. It is a very difficult thing. For some of us, maybe we enjoy disliking other people. We get this kind of high off of disliking other people. We need to talk to other people about disliking other people, which to me never makes a whole lot of sense because we're not building up the kingdom of God. But in saying that, we have to be willing to challenge ourselves. How is it that I am breaking down the kingdom of God by talking about the other person because of how they have hurt me? We need to allow our heart to be transformed in God's fire, to purge the iniquity, to purify all of the impurity, to abide that we might live. Amen to that. So, in the process of forgiveness, it isn't just about remitting debts. It is about loving enemies, as God has loved us into wholeness for the sake of our holiness. Forgiveness is an action that is purely divine, even when it is done by humans, and I think we get this sacramentally in the sacrament of confession, 
But this is something we also share in, in our lay capacity. We just have to be divinized, if you will, this favorite uh, line of, of the church fathers, of the great saints and doctors of the church. As 2 Peter 1.4 says, we share in the very divine nature of God what we are being made more like God as we do that. We enter the process of divinization, if you will. So we forgive as we've been forgiven. We forgive as God forgives. And only then should we ask God to forgive us as we forgive others. Hopefully that makes sense. What's more? Well, this petition of the Lord's Prayer helps us to acquire also, I think, the right attitude about ourselves and our fallen humanity, our need for forgiveness, and our potential for divinization. I think one of the things that we have forgotten about, uh, especially when forgiveness stalls, is that we too are sinners. We too have hurt other people. We too have offended many. Sin is something that afflicts us all. No one is immune from the stain of sin, minus, of course, our Lord and the Immaculate Conception. We all sin. We all are the victims of the sins of others. Adam was what? The first sinner. He was himself sinned against by the serpent. It's interesting. If you go to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, what do we read? <laughs> that the just man even falls seven times a day. So by placing a plea for forgiveness on our lips, the Lord's prayer ought to humble us and encourage us to confront a truth that we'd rather avoid, huh? It's interesting. As easy as it is for us to see the sins of others is as difficult as it is for us to notice our own sins. Our own faults are trifling. <laughs> as Scott Hahn puts it, or so we like to think. But other faults are glaring. And why is that? What does Jesus tell us in the opening verses of Matthew chapter 7? Do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? What is he saying there? <laughs> My dear friends, we cannot pray the Our Father honestly without acknowledging the logs in our own eyes and promising to overlook the specks in our brother's eye. We should make excuses for the faults of others at least as much as we do for our own faults. We are so quick to make an excuse for our own wrongdoing and just as quick to accuse the other in their sin. Why? Well, we are human. We are human. And we have to begin to regard this truth for what it is. And speaking of our humanity, well... As it has been said, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. And so when we forgive, we act as God acts. We forgive others as we have already been forgiven. This is the wisdom that comes to us from this great petition that we really ought to start thinking about. This is a divine act that we share in. Okay, lead us not into temptation. Scott Hahn makes an interesting point here. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer is like a marathon course whose last mile winds up a steep hill. 
or it is like a Himalayan mountain whose ultimate peak crowns a sheer vertical rock force. (laughs) We approach the end of this great prayer, and still we face the petition that has proven to be a stumbling block to so many of the great Christian minds throughout history. Why? I mean, after all, would God lead us into temptation? When the scriptures speak of a tempter, they always mean the devil. Temptation is the hallmark of Satan's actions in our lives. We were, we were talking uh, sometime last week about this, huh? As it relates to Satan, the one who tempts. This is his absolute function, huh? So then why are we praying that God, our Father in heaven, will not lead us into temptation. It's really a curious thing, and it is for this reason that we must read our Lord's words with utmost care. For He chose them with precision that is perfect and all-knowing because it is God Himself, right? The Lord's Prayer is not the only time Jesus directed His followers to pray against temptation. We see it actually twice in the Garden of Gethsemane. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Luke twenty-two forty 40 and 46. So we are made to conclude then that temptations are something to be strenuously avoided. However, paradoxically, <laughs> Jesus also said that temptations are inevitable. Go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. What do we read? For it is necessary that temptations come but woe to the man by whom the temptation comes. It is clear in this context that God is not the origin of temptations, if you will. God does not tempt us. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one, James 1.13 says. But temptations do come from our fellow men, as Jesus implies, from the devil, as we see in Jesus' encounter with Satan in the desert, and even from adverse circumstances in life, such as physical illness, failure, or even humiliation. What are we to highlight here? Well, God does not will our pain, nor does He will the sins of others, which cause us pain. Suffering and death came into the world as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, Yet God's will is accomplished in spite of these things, right? And for this reason, he has ordained every occasion of temptation to be an occasion of grace as well. It just depends on how we respond, right? (laughs) What's the great passage from Romans 5 verse 20? Where sin arises, grace abounds all the more. God did not force Adam and Eve to love or obey him. He allowed them a choice. We have spoken to this a great deal, that the very nature of love demands that we are free because love never comes from without, but from within. In regards to Adam and Eve, he placed them in a garden full of delights and invited them to partake of any tree but one. Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we read, you shall not eat. God commanded, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So temptation 
came to the primal couple in the form of a serpent, a deadly beast with an angelic intelligence. Incidentally, don't equate intelligence with wisdom. Satan has supreme intellect, but that does not mean he's wise because wisdom always starts on bending knee. So Satan in the garden utilized his intelligence. He posed veiled threats with crafty words, undermining Adam and Eve's trust in God. This is what he has been doing for 2,000 years. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? When he uses the word mammon in the original text, it's just not do not fall to mammon, but do not trust money. (laughs) So the serpent undermines Adam and Eve and fearing for their lives and too proud to cry out for help, Adam and Eve consent to the temptation, right? They sinned, and in sinning, they failed the test that God had permitted for their good. If they had feared God more than they feared the serpent, they would have chosen martyrdom at that moment. Martyrdom defined as witness, right? The the word martyr comes from the Greek martyria, which best translates as witness. We actually see this in the New Testament. Adam and Eve did not choose martyrdom, and so they knew paradise no more. <laughs> if they did offer their lives, by offering a complete sacrifice of their lives, they would have begun to live the life of glory. My friends, God is love, and love demands a total gift of self. I love this phrase from Scott Hahn. In eternity, the complete gift of self is the Trinity's inner life. In time, the image of the divine life is sacrificial, life-giving love. Amen to that. So we have this vocation. We have this call to die to ourselves for the sake of another. And quite simply, That is what Adam and Eve failed to do. So we pray, rightfully so, lead us not into temptation. And by praying this, we enter into that overarching truth of God who is love. Okay, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. Uh, We will pick up here uh, with this petition next week. Hopefully, uh, Chris and or Derek will be with me to continue this conversation. Let us go ahead and wrap up with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of your grace that empowers us, that emboldens us, that gives us the strength necessary to cry, Abba, Father, our Father, the grace that strengthens us to overcome uh, our temptations. We pray this through the intercession of our Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.